1: Good afternoon, everyone. I pray you are all full of hope in Jesus Christ. Hope does not disappoint. Amen. And because his hope does not disappoint, no matter what happens throughout our lives, we can definitely bank on Jesus' promises. Now, what happened before Jesus was around to give us that kind of a hope? But we're going to take a look a very little short book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the book of Nahum. How many of you have read the book of Nahum? Oh, wow. I see. <laughs> okay. We're going to do a little bit of a background on the book of Nahum and at the same time learn something about divine politics, if you will. First thing first, uh, not all the Bible, oops, not all the Bible is directed to us. But all of it is for us, a very important principle in exegesis that we need to remember. Everything that is said in the Bible isn't directed to us in this 21st century. Not everything. Sometimes God was speaking to particular groups of people. Sometimes Jesus was speaking just to the apostles or the Pharisees. But everything in the Bible, though, as Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, everything belongs to us. The things revealed, as it says here belongs to us and to our children forever. So just some things to keep in mind as we go, not just through the book of Nahum, but just as you read the Bible uh, and you go through it. The message of Nahum may be difficult to accept for those who think that a God of love wouldn't bring about judgment, because this is a book about judgment. In particular, the judgment of Nineveh, the city of Nineveh. God does everything out of love. We are only learning the tip of the iceberg here as people. We're only learning the tip of God's amazing and deep love as we look at Jesus Christ. But it takes spiritual maturity to comprehend the love of Christ, the guidance through the Holy Spirit. As Paul tells in the Ephesian prayer to them in Ephesians 3, 14 through 20, we need to understand that God is also right and just in everything that he does, particularly if it seems Kind of uh, judgmentally to us in this day and age. Now, those of you, those of you who know what love is, you understand that real love brings about accountability. So this accountability is what has to do with judgment. Once you bring that word into play, accountability, there's always love, great love behind that, but judgment is not far behind. So how do we reconcile judgment and love in this book of Nahum? And we're going to get to that in a moment. We don't know much about Nahum as a person, as a prophet of the Lord. Uh, his book only deals with the theme of the judgment of Nineveh, a very particular theme. Uh, his prophecy takes place about 100 years after Jonah was sent by God to preach to the Ninevites, uh, at the capital of the Assyrian Empire at the time. And Nahum probably lived during the reign of Hezekiah between 720 BC, 636 BC. You may ask, well, Pedro, why are we talking about Nahum? What does it have to do with us? That was for Nineveh. That occurred a long time ago. What can it possibly have to do with us more than 2,500 years later? Now, you may be right about that. But again, I get take you back to this important principle that I said at the beginning. A principle that really applies to any kind of textual interpretation, particularly God's inspired word. Not everything is directed to us, but everything is for us. And there are many things in this little book of Nahum. I'm not going to have the time to go over it all today, but I'm hopefully causing a uh, piquing your interest a little bit so that later on you can study all three chapters. That's all it has, three chapters. Uh, these spiritual principles that we find in the word of God are never outdated and that's what we're mining for the spiritual principles of the word of God the name Nahum and names are pretty significant in the old testament when God gives somebody a name or if parents gave a prophet or somebody a name that name has a meaning there's a meaning behind it as to why that person is named that and Nahum means comforter. and you might think whoa what a book of judgment <laughs> given by somebody called comforter? Isn't that kind of clashing a little bit? Isn't that paradoxical, you may ask? But that depends on your point of view, no? Uh, context is what matters to the observer. Context is very important. This is where we reconcile judgment and love. Think about this. If the Assyrians were your mortal enemy, then this message from a comforter would make sense, wouldn't it? (laughs) Now, if you're on the other side of that, you might not understand God's love there. But we're beginning to see God's love in this message of comfort from the comforter to the people of Nineveh. Now, let me say, people tend to be very hypocritical when it comes to judgment. That's because people don't know everything. We cannot possibly know all the different instances and nuances that could cause somebody to make a decision about judgment. That's why a judge listens very carefully to the defense and to the prosecution, and even sometimes employs a jury in making a decision and weighing a decision whether to go one way or another and to avoid personal bias. You may feel sympathetic towards a criminal for whatever superficial and limited reasons you may have. But let's say if that same criminal kills your loved ones, then you will want that person judge, no questions asked, right? So that's why when we make a judgment, we have to be very uh, careful in how we arrive at that judgment. We can't be quick to judge, as the Word of God says, or end up being hypocrites. Often it happens in our day and age, we hear news spin in such a way, sometimes politically slanted, sometimes with bias, and that tends to disparage our moral and biblical sense of justice. We get all hot under the collar because we hear about events or people. And that all of a sudden moves us to make a quick judgment about a situation, oftentimes without context and without perspective. That's not a mature way to judge. We need to be very careful how we do that. That's the devil's game. The devil is trying to play our emotions against us to arrive at a prejudice that he might want us to have for his purposes. But we need to be smart. The thing is, sometimes we do that with our spouses, don't we? We do that with our children. We arrive at a quick judgment. So before we judge, we want to try to walk in that person's shoes. We want to try to understand what motivates a person to do something. And once we do that, we're in a better position to judge a situation without getting all emotional about it. Better yet, Uh, For things that are beyond our sphere of influence, it's better to just refrain from judging at all. That's why there are judges. That's why there are courts. We don't want things to get judged by how the media may be playing it out. Now, Nahum, it says here in Nahum 1.1, a prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision. It's interesting that in the King James Version, that word vision is really burden, the burden burden of Nahum, the Elkishite. Because in the Hebrew, that word burden, which is the Hebrew word Massah, really means an utterance of doom. Think about that. Uh, And Nahum was well acquainted with Assyrian culture. He was an Elkishite. Now, Elkosh is a town in Israel. It's whereabouts uh, disputed but it's also a place a few miles north of the ruins of Nineveh to this very day. Some believe Nahum was born in Israel, uh, but then was carried into captivity. Similar situation with Daniel, right? He was born in Israel, but was carried into captivity. So this was during the Assyrian time. And some believe that his parents and him as a little boy were carried to uh, Assyria in captivity. So as Daniel prophesied to Babylon, Nahum prophesied to Nineveh uh, as a resident, intimately acquainted with their customs and their practices, unlike Jonah, who was sent to Nineveh from Israel, not really knowing too much about it, but uh, from hearsay. Whichever the case may be, we can know that Jonah, almost a century before this message to Nineveh, he brought a message to Nineveh about repentance you remember that right God sent Jonah Jonah didn't want to go why didn't Jonah want to go because the Ninevites the Assyrians were their mortal enemy and he knew God he knows the character of God that God is merciful and he was afraid that the people would repent and he was angry you know he wanted God to judge them (laughs) Uh, but nevertheless after Jonah learns his lesson he goes over there and he preaches and the results were amazing we have never seen such a revival recorded in the history of mankind, have we? I mean, have we ever seen a whole city and a foreign city of that, a Gentile city of that, completely turn from the least of them to the greatest to God? I mean, it's the greatest revival that's been recorded in human history. The world has never seen a revival like that in a foreign nation. Nonetheless, the whole city turns to God. And we learn that God really cares for the nations. You know, God cares for the Chinese God cares for the Russian nation. God cares for Saudi Arabia. He cares for everybody. And he really wishes for everybody to hear his messages. He is watching everything in every nation. No one can hide from him. No plan can be conceived that God will not know about. Here in Jonah three, verse five through six, it says the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh. He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Wow. And then the king issues a decree to all the citizens urgently to call on the Lord. Here in Jonah 3.10, it says, when God saw what they did and how they did it, how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. You see, that's what God wants to do. God wants to relent. He wants to bring joy, he wants to bring peace, he wants to bring calm. And so he relented from the disaster that he had threatened. So think about this, a whole nation, a whole generation really of that time was saved from the disaster that was coming to them. Not because God is mean and wants to cause harm to people. No, because it was coming to them because of the horrible things they were doing to other nations. If you don't believe me, go and read your history and you will learn how the Assyrians uh, treated their enemies and how they captured other countries. It was really bad. And so God had planned this disaster. They relented and a whole generation was saved. God gave them opportunity. And this is what our God does. He gives people opportunity. Even though Jonah was spiteful about it, <laughs> God gave them this opportunity. The revival, though, that they experienced, unfortunately, was transitory transitory a hundred years later now had now has to come Nahum to bring them a message or to really remind them what was in store for them and we read about that in Nahum chapter one verses two and three it says the Lord is a jealous and avenging God the Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath the Lord takes vengeance on his foes thence his wrath against his enemies the Lord is slow to anger But great in power, the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and clouds are the dust of his feet. God had patiently given this new generation in Nineveh an opportunity to repent. But unfortunately, they were not like the former generation whose hearts were pricked when they heard the message from Jonah and they turned to God. They had been receptive. This generation was hardened by sins, deceitfulness. They had become brutal. They had become worse than their former generation. The light in them had become darkness. They had seen a light in the word of God and the prophet of Jonah. But what happens sometimes if we ignore the light, if after seeing the light we ignored it and we voluntarily and with more verbs turn to darkness, that spells a horrible scenario for you in the light of God. Jesus tells us about that here in Matthew 6 22 and 23, where he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So the light in Nineveh, there had been light, but that light turned to darkness. They rejected the light. And darkness now was in them. They had refused the word of God, they had refused the mercy of God. Maybe they claimed to have light, but in their actions and their heart, that light was gone. As John says in John 3:19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. It's what we do that shows where our eyes are looking. And so this, even though this is a message for Nineveh, a city that even no longer exists, we, in the 21st century, need to heed the words of God and cannot forget that a generation can easily turn away from God as easily as these Ninevites did. I mean, they made the headlines back then. They all had turned to God. What a wonderful thing, what a celebratory thing. But hundred years later, impending doom was coming. By the fa- by, by the way, as a matter of history, If you read a hundred years after Nahum, you know what happened? The prophecy was fulfilled and Nineveh was destroyed. And it remains in ruins to this very day. And that shows us that God doesn't play around. God wants to relent. But if we choose darkness, if that's what we choose to do, then we are causing that judgment upon us. We're bringing it upon us. Wasn't Jonah a type of Messiah? I mean, think about it. God sent Jonah, although reluctantly, (laughs) he's an imperfect messiah, (laughs) kind of like us, right? Sometimes we don't want to go. Sometimes we have many different attitudes that are not all aligned to God's. But isn't it wonderful that God uses imperfect vessels like us to bring about a message that can cause an unprecedented revival? Isn't that something? But that's the Lord. And so we have to give glory to God that in this day and age, now he's using us imperfect and sometimes reluctant people like Jonah to bring a message to sometimes places we don't really want to go. He'd rather be swallowed by a fish than go somewhere. But that's the Lord our God. You know, God causes with our imperfect words, with our bad attitudes. Light is powerful and can affect an entire generation. But that entire generation, if they don't keep in the light, they can lose their place and then the darkness in them will be greater than it was before. It kind of reminds me of when I went to Puerto Rico. I went to Puerto Rico as a single man to preach the gospel. My experience had been preaching the gospel in the campus setting. So I had a lot of experience doing that. I knew how to do that. And so I go and try to preach and the campus is there in Puerto Rico, and I noticed something. I mean, I kind of knew this because I was raised in Puerto Rico, but coming to Puerto Rico with new eyes, you know, with different eyes, hopefully with the eyes of the Father, I just saw a lot of different churches, a lot of different denominations, a lot of people speaking spiritual words or thinking that they are spiritual, with a lot of religion, but with so little faith. Lots of churches, a lot of religions, a lot of people carrying their Bibles, Lots of spiritual talk, but very little faith. Light that has turned into darkness. And we don't really want to become that. We don't want to become a people that go to church, do religious things, and kind of put this label on ourselves. And yet our actions are not carrying through. Because that's the kind of thing that can turn a generation against God. Because people can see right through that. And so that's why God was filled with wrath against them because they had turned back. I just hope that for us, we can always have a heart soft unto the message of God and be like those Ninevites, that, that first generation that Jonah preached to in case something happens. You know, perhaps the people in Nineveh were going through this identity crisis that many people are going through today. Not so different than what our country's going through, right? Some would say, if you read the history of the United States of America, that right now in the 21st century, we're going through some identity crisis. But really that identity crisis started 50 years ago. And we're still kind of in it, not quite sure how we're going to come out of it. Because weren't we once a nation full of faith? Full of people who wanted to let the word of God be known, preach the morality of God, have these great foundations. I mean, isn't that what put America first on the map. But what has happened even before our generation came into play here? What has happened since the last generation? Have we confused religion with personal, cultural, ethical and racial agendas? Are we confusing those things? Are we substituting one for the other? Because as Christians, We need to embrace the identity of Christ that needs to define us, not our cultural identity, not our racial identity, certainly not politics or anything else, because I'm going to tell you that when that happens, that's when these nations have fallen away. That's when these nations have called God's judgment on them. And we may not be far behind, We need to make sure that as Christians, we're putting Christ first and Christ on in everything that we do. So that Christ remains the one that we're focused on. And not any other secondary or tertiary thing that God will just brush away because it's not going to last. The world doesn't care really or responds to your political agenda or racial agenda or cultural agenda. You might get a little group in with you. But is that the gospel? Is that the intention of the gospel? Just to get a little group of people to believe. Just to get a little group in line with your kind of thinking? Or are we trying to get people in line with God's kind of thinking? Are we trying to please people, as Paul said? Or are we trying to please God? That's what it comes down to. The world will not respond to anything else, Jesus said, except for two things. Unity. Unity in Christ and the love of Christ. And you cannot fake those. You can try. <laughs> you can put a label on. You can put some behaviors on. But the world will see right through that. They will only be convinced if they see real love. But real love shown in real unity. That's, that's the clincher right there. Let me tell you, racial unity is not the same as the racial diversity that the world preaches. There's nothing more beautiful, isn't there, than seeing brethren from varying races, beliefs, cultures, praising God together, celebrating our unity, not celebrating our differences. See, the world is about celebrating your differences. And it seems like a good plan, doesn't it? Oh, we want to be inclusive. We want to include everybody. So we're going to celebrate the Puerto Rican history month and heritage. We want to celebrate the blacks. We want to celebrate the Deaf. but we don't see that in the Bible that enhances differences. That doesn't bring people together. We've been trying this experiment now for what? 20 something years, haven't we in the schools? Preaching this multiculturalism, where are we at? Tell me, has it worked? No. People are more divided than before. All right. We need to celebrate our unity in Christ. The fact that we're one in Christ. The fact that no matter what color or belief or politics I subscribe to, I am a Christian first. Because the power of God is going to work in that Outside of that, it's not the power of God working. It's the power of humans. And you know what that causes, right? This is the statement of what Jesus says. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. Understand by this. People will know you're my disciples. People who may not even believe. You cannot fake this kind of love, the love that you have in Christ. You can fake it if you just try to wear a label. And yeah, people will see right through that. They're not dumb. Jesus also said in his prayer in John 17, 20 to 23. I'm not going to read the whole thing for issue of time, but the highlighted parts. May they also be in us, Jesus is praying. May they, they be in us. So that the world may believe you have sent me. How is the world going to believe Jesus was sent? Verse 23. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Brothers and sisters. There are two powerful divine things that are going to work in us today. And number one is unity. Not diversity. Unity. And the second thing is how we love each other in that unity. That's what's going to make the gospel message work. It's not going to be your power at work there, but God's power. And in a day and in a generation where division seems to be the name of the game, the church is going to make a big difference if it prescribes and subscribes God's word. As I said before, multiculturalism, all it does, it enhances differences. Jesus' unity proclaims peace. Multiculturalism emphasizes racial differences. It celebrates differences. We don't wanna do that. We don't wanna hold in high esteem our differences. What logic is there in that? We wanna hold in high esteem and celebrate the savior because he is gonna take us to a new reality where there is no black, no white, no Hispanic, no male, no female, no Jew, no Gentile. We're all gonna be just one. In Christ. Multiculturalism. And whatever enhances. The differences of man. Is a false religion. It's a divisive philosophy. It will not work. You want to subscribe to it. You will die with it. But if you want to live. You leave that identity behind. And you adopt the identity. Of Christ. Just remember that the world's brand of peace. Brings everything but peace. (laughs) It may bring absence of conflict, but it's not gonna bring peace. It doesn't have the power to unite people. Don't you understand? Don't you know your history? It can't have that power. All throughout history, when peoples have come together in such a united way, it has been because of faith. Nothing else, not politics, not race, not even culture. And that's the truth. People hate that, but that's okay. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. (laughs) Yes, it will bring up hate. When you preach the right message, you're not going to find a friend in the world, but you will have unity with Christ. That's one of the litmus tests, by the way, of whether or not we're preaching the truth. The confusion of identity and purpose was probably going on in Nineveh. Nineveh was probably suffering from these things with their own issues back then. We got our own issues here in the 21st. I wanna tell you about two men who talked about this kind of thing that I'm telling you here. You're not gonna learn this in high school, by the way, or in college. You're learning it here first. The German philosopher Hegel, who's heard of Hegel? Okay. (laughs) He knew that just because men and women learn about the past, I mean, who's taking history here? We're all taking history, right? We're all taking history. But just because people learn about the past, That doesn't mean they're gonna make better decisions about their future. And he cynically commented, What experience and history teach us is this that people and governments never have learned anything from the past. You know why? Because they repeat it over and over and over. Don't we have a phrase? History repeats itself. How come we're not capable from learning of learning from this? Because we're humans, that's why. No political ideology, race, culture, or heritage can keep us from repeating the same mistakes. There's only one way we can stop that from happening. And you know which way it is. <laughs> if you ignore history, you're doomed to repeat it. And it seems that we're doomed to repeat it anyway, as people. You know, this is probably why in the 18th century, uh, the Scottish historian Alexander Fraser Titler. Who's heard of Alexander Fraser Titler? Nobody. He said that the average lifespan of a great civilization is about 200 years. When you study all the great civilizations of history, and boy, did I look at a few charts in preparing this lesson. Some of them have lasted 800 years. Some of them have lasted 100. Some of them have lasted three. Some of them have lasted eight. You average them all out, 200. That's what average means, doesn't it? So they repeat the same stages that you see up here. Bondage, spiritual faith, great courage, liberty, abundance. Then they go down the hill. Selfishness, complacency, apathy, dependence, back to bondage. Every single nation. By the way, this chart this is one of many charts that I found from many political historians that all agree on this, right? These are not just what Christian historians agree to. This is what the general historian sees. This is the pattern that we see happening. We, talk, we go to Sir John Bagot Glubb, a little more in our time. Highly honored British general and historian, better known as Glubb Pasha. He wrote about this in the book, The Fate of the Empires and the Search for Survival. And he described this common pattern that fits the history of the fallen empires. And he went through all these cycles and he explains them all in his book. Now, I want you to look at those cycles. Look at those stages. How old is America? 200 and change, right? We were 200 in 1976. We celebrated our... Bicentennial, I remember I was in Disney World. (laughs) I saw the parade. So, what's the year now? 244. 244 years, the United States. A young nation, very young nation. We know nothing. We're like a one-year-old compared to the rest of the nations. We know nothing. Puerto Ricans, no more. Puerto Rican culture, 500 years old. Think about that, right? U.S. US of A, 244. Twice the knowledge we got. I'm boasting in Puerto Ricans, I shouldn't do that. (laughs) But I'm just using that so that you can kind of have something to compare to. You know? Uh, This is how it goes. Now, look at this. Look at these stages. What? Where are we today in America? Some people would say, selfishness, definitely. Some people would say, Complacency. We know we're beyond the abundance stage. We know that. But now our abundance has made us very selfish, making us very complacent. I see that. Making us very apathetic. Oh, I see that. Oh, we're 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 on the last stages, right, right next to bondage again. I wonder, I wonder how bondage is gonna come. How is bondage gonna come? Some say we're already, we're already handcuffing ourselves as a nation to the Chinese. Economically speaking, the Japanese and the Chinese own almost everything, more so than any American's own. In terms of real estate, land and things, even that are in the United States of America. The coin of the Chinese is on its way up. That's our fault. Nobody else's fault. Because of policies and things that we're doing. Why? Because of selfishness. Because of complacency, because of apathy, and we're right, we're right, going right back to bondage. All on our own doing. Oh, we're so smart, aren't we? As a as a nation, no, no nation is smart. They're all caught up in the same exact cycle. How long is grace going to last? I don't know, but you know, for the Ninevites, grace was running out. Grace was running out. God tells him through Nahum and Nahum 3, 18 and 19. King of Assyria, your shepherds slumber. You know what that means? Your leaders are asleep. Oh boy, isn't that true? (laughs) I can see it. Your nobles lie down to rest. All the people who are making decisions, they're sleeping. They're dreaming somewhere. They're not awake. They don't know what's going on. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. You know what that speaks to? Division. Isn't that what we see? Everybody's out on their own. Scattered. Where's the unity? Oh, all these great philosophies that are better than God's word. Really? Are you not awake yet? Are you doomed to fall into the same cycle? Verse 19, nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall, for who has not felt your endless cruelty. I hope those aren't words directed at our nation, but nothing escapes God. You believe that. He knows what's going on. And so I don't want to be known as a Republican or a Democrat, or a liberal, or a conservative, or an American, or a Puerto Rican, or a white. Somebody might think I'm white. Because all that is gonna end up in doom, all of it. And if you're not yet convinced, I hope that you've really taken the message of God because the time is short. These Ninevites had a very short time until what God was going to do. But let us not also forget the message in Nahum, a book of judgment, where God also says, or Nahum says to the spirit, the Lord is good. He's a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. But, there's always a but there, with an overwhelming flood, he will make the end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes, Into the realm of darkness. Now whatever struggle you think you're in. Be watchful. Use your mind. Guard your heart. Your heart's the one that's going to get you in trouble. If you let the the light in you. Turn to darkness. Don't let your heart guide you. You may think your heart. Your emotions. That's your reality. It isn't. It's not the ultimate reality. That plays out in the promises of God. The Ninevites were told by Nahum, turn to God and serve him. That's the only reality that matters here and in the hereafter. God's kingdom is immutable. Like God himself in the last 2000 years, as Daniel prophesied, the kingdom of God has taken over and all the other kingdoms were had been shattered. There are no kingdoms. It's only one. That's the reality. And it's the kingdom of God and the sign of the kingdom. Is the sign of Jonah, isn't it? (laughs) The sign that the kingdom of God is here. It's alive. It's being ruled by Christ. Is the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? This, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God sent his son as our brother preached here for the Lord's Supper. A display of love, a display of mercy, a favor, a gift. So that not only we would learn to live our lives here, but more importantly, because we're going to be in the hereafter longer than we're here, more importantly, so that we could be with God forever and escape all the pitfalls that exist on this earth. This is the message. And if we preach this message in unity and loving one another. Oh, that's a powerful three punch combination that comes from the Lord God. Remember. There's no greater cliffhanger than the empty tomb. This is the sign of Jonah. There's no greater cliffhanger left to us in history to wonder about than the empty tomb. A proof that here on this earth, you got zero, you're empty. (laughs) But that if your sights are set on who's coming back, you will be full. That's the sign of the empty tomb. So I urge you, stop fighting against the flesh. Stop fighting against the powers of darkness. You can't win. You're doomed to repeat the cycle, don't you know? Who's going to escape that? No one. Only those who put their trust in God. Those are the ones that can't escape this. So stop fighting and instead surrender to the peace of Christ. Surrender to the new identity God has given you. That's the real you and in this day, we're so much confusing messages that are spinned in all kinds of directions, especially now that we're approaching the time of elections. Keep your cool. Trust in Christ. He's the king. Nobody's voted him in. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) He's the king and he's the one who rules. Whoever else Come, becomes president, it doesn't really matter because the cycle is going to make full circle anyway. Okay? <laughs> you keep your trust in Christ and be an effective freedom fighter by joining the fight. How do we join the fight? We believe that this is the message of Christ. We surrender as Jesus willingly surrendered, as our brother taught us, but we surrender to him in baptism to have our sins cleansed by his blood. And we receive a spirit of power that empowers us to turn away from the ungodly and dark things and to be a light in this world of darkness. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.
0: Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.